Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. My name is John Green, and I'm your host. Uh, it's the week before Christmas. We are actually, as I uh, tape this, we are one week to the day prior to uh, the celebration of the incarnation of Jesus, the celebration of God coming into the world in the form of an infant who will be the salvation of all mankind. It's, it's an exciting time. We get in the past, you know, you can get so busy with everything else going on during this season that you can kind of get Jesus lost in the mess. You don't have time for it. So um, this year, it's been you know, it's no good <laughs> with COVID lockdowns. But what we've been able to do is spend considerable time on YouTube, for instance, listening to great choirs and um, from around the world and listening to fantastic performances of things like the Messiah, but also lessons and carols, and miss those times. We watched the other day, we watched um, a short video that I took last year, actually, during um, a, there's a, a community sing-along here in Asheville every year with the, um, the symphony and um, that, that is a sing-along for uh, the Messiah. And so it was a, a wonderful thing to reminisce and watch the video of the last part of the Hallelujah Chorus uh, with the wonderful choir that was there, the symphony orchestra playing, and, and the community singing together, um, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, it, it's, it's just a wonderful thing, but it seems like forever ago that that actually happened. Now, it does seems like far more than a year ago, but, but I, I would encourage you in this last week prior to um, the celebration of the Incarnation on Christmas Day, I would encourage you to go to YouTube and, and seek out some great music and some great worship. As, as I said the other last time, we need uh, more worship in our lives. We need more worship right now particularly to get us out of all the other things we're into and, and spend more time in the Word of God and in the praise of God. And, and if we're not going to worship like we normally do with our church families and stuff, then, then it's an easy way to, to step into the presence of God and watch and, and sing along with, with the great uh, hymns of the church celebrating the Incarnation. So I encourage you, highly encourage you, in fact, to do that very thing. It's been kind of still a difficult week for me. I, I, I think I mentioned last time I've been struggling with cellulitis in my foot, my right foot, for about two weeks now. It's better but it's still not where I would like it to be. It's still painful. It's still not able to put a shoe on without a significant amount of pain. And uh, so I covet your prayers for that. I, I would really appreciate it if you'd be praying for the healing of that because we know that God is the healer. And so I would appreciate it if you'd be praying for that for me. Um, not a whole lot going on this week. Had some fantastic conversations with people at work and still waiting to hear somebody tell me a great story from 2020, some sort of uh, amazing and wonderful thing that happened to them during 2020, and, and have not heard it yet. I'm still hearing just stories that make you hurt. And so, as much as I would like to not be doing that every day, um, I know there's a reason for it. I know there's a reason for me to be there to hear people's stories and to, to ask them to tell their stories and, and to be a sympathetic ear for them. And so I'm going to encourage you on one other front, too. If you've got friends who are alone and, and not getting out much, and, and you know maybe you don't feel comfortable getting out during COVID, but you have a phone, and so do they. 
And so I would highly encourage you to block out some time just to spend with friends, family, or whoever who, who might need just to talk to somebody, might just need to hear from you and let them know that, that you care and that you love them and you're thinking about them. So I'm just going to encourage you to take the time to do that um, because it's, it's different. I'm going to tell you it's different. I've been at Amazon long enough to know that right now, this season, this year is different from any other time. My conversations now are, are richer in a lot of ways and lengthier in most ways, and largely because I speak with a lot of elderly people, and they just don't have enough contact. They're not seeing friends and family. They've, they've been apart from them. The families don't want to go there because they don't want to give grandma something, and, and so they've we, we've isolated too much and it's not good. We're not made to be that way. God said that right in the beginning when he said it's not good for man to be alone. We are made to be in relationships with people. We're, we're made to be among one another. Um, we, we can't physically touch one another now, and, and that's an awful thing. It, it's, it's an awful thing. We can't see one another's smiles. We're, we're hiding behind all this. And so what we need is we need to make sure that the people we know and that we're close to know that we love them and know that we care about them enough to, to call them and, and keep in touch, particularly during this time, because it looks like they're going to drag it out further and longer. Um, I don't know about y'all, but I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. I don't want to do this anymore. I, I'm really over it. And uh, I hope we'll get back to normal soon. Still a crazy year, right? Still all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Still not settled in any shape, form, or fashion. 2020 has just been bizarre beyond belief and so we'll we'll see what happens next and every day seems to bring some sort of fresh uh, revelation or weirdness <coughs> with it so let's take a minute and reflect on the lessons for today so the first thing that we have is we've got the, our psalm for today it skips around a little bit because it's, it's hard to read 26 verses in church together. It takes a while. So it's Psalm 89. It's the first four verses and then verses 19 to 26 is the psalm for today. And it's, um, your, Lord, your love, O Lord, forever will I sing. From age to age my mouth will proclaim your faithfulness. For I'm persuaded that your love is established forever. You have set your faithfulness firmly in the heavens. And then God speaks, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn an oath to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and preserve your throne for all generations. Now back to the psalmist. You spoke once in a vision and said to your faithful people, I have set the crown upon a warrior and have exalted one chosen out of the people. I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil have I anointed him. My hand will hold him fast and my arm will make him strong. No enemy shall deceive him, nor any wicked man bring him down. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and love shall be with him, and he shall be victorious through my name. I shall make his dominion extend from the great sea to the river. He will say to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. This is David writing this and reflecting on it. He's, he's reflecting on the promise of God for him that he made a covenant with him and sworn an oath with him to have one on the throne from David's line forever through all generations. And so David is, David is reflecting on that and God's faithfulness in the beginning of that 
Your love, O Lord, forever will I sing. For age to age, my mouth will proclaim your faithfulness. For I'm persuaded that your love is established forever. You have set your faithfulness firmly in the heavens. David's believing God in the same way that Abraham believed God. Abraham was promised progeny and promised that that line would persevere forever. And Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. And so David here, while he's still on the throne, is proclaiming God's faithfulness in the same way that Abraham did. And the same way I was talking about last week is that we've seen the promise of God. We've seen the, the promise of God of eternal life for us, and we've seen the pledge and the down payment of that in Jesus Christ. And, and our walk in this life is in faith, believing that because Jesus was resurrected from the dead and he said the condition for our own resurrection was faith in him, then, then we can count on ours as though it were already done. And so that's what David's doing here. He is looking forward down the line and believing that God will do exactly as he promised. And it's a huge promise to have one of David's line on the throne forever. Forever. It's a huge thing. And we know that Jesus is from the line of David and Jesus is on the throne, the only throne that actually matters because all others would throw their crowns down in the presence of this King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever. It's, it's David just counting on the promise of God, and, and so our Old Testament lesson is actually um, when God makes that promise to David. And what are the circumstances around that? Well, the circumstances are interesting. It's, it's a funny way of saying this. Now, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. The king said, David said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. So David's sitting, resting, got nothing to do. Notices that he lives in a fine home and now realizes that, that the God of, that who's made all this possible dwells in a tent in the tabernacle that, that had been with them since the time of Moses. And now here we are, you know, a thousand years or so down the line from that. And they're still in the, in the tent. And Nathan says, go, do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. You know, it, basically what he said, because we're going to find this out in about two seconds, is, sounds good to me, go for it. But the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I've moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? He said, Did, did I ask you to do that, David? I don't think I did. I don't think I've ever said anything. I don't think I've ever grumbled or complained about my dwelling place. He says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you up from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I'll make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. It's the same thing he promised Abraham, exactly the same promise there to make a great name. I'll appoint a place for my people Israel and I'll plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. 
and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Got to be careful, I think. You know, like Nathan here, um, it sounded good. It sounded like a great plan that, that David would make a house for God. But the Lord had to intervene and send a word to Nathan to tell him, no, that's not your job. I didn't ask you to do that, and I don't want you to do that. That's going to wait. It's going to wait for just one more generation, although that's not said here, but that's how long it waits. It waits for the time of David's son Solomon to take over, and he'll build that temple. But it's, it's the promise that God makes is, is that I'll let you know when I'm ready to dwell in a house, but, but the people haven't settled yet in Jerusalem. So that, that's not happened yet. They've, they've not moved and taken control of the place where God will put his name and put his fame and put the temple. And so, so David, it sounds like a good idea. And there are a lot of things we can do in the kingdom that sound like a good idea. But just because it sounds like a good idea and a godly idea doesn't mean that it's what God wants. I've certainly experienced that in my own life. Experienced it when planning a church. We just knew that we knew that we knew that God had given us a bunch of money and the only thing he could possibly want is for us to go build a building or, or buy a building or whatever. And so we, we waited and we waited and we waited and by golly, we finally did, but you know, it wasn't right. It wasn't what we were supposed to do. Sadly enough, I have to look back and say we honestly didn't seek the Lord for what he really wanted to do with that money. We just knew what he wanted to do with the money. And so I've repented of that a thousand times over through my life. Um, it, we can do a great many things, but everything we do needs to be undertaken with prayer. Everything we do in the kingdom and for the kingdom needs to be undertaken with prayer. If we want to have God's blessing on it, then, then we need to ask for it in advance. And we need to seek his face and seek his will because he will speak to us. Fortunately here, I'd say fortunately because... Because it saved David a lot of grief and a lot of heartache. God spoke to Nathan that night. Whether Nathan was actually asking God to say anything or not, we don't have any idea. But, but he was fortunate that the Lord did love him enough to speak into that situation and stop it before it got started, before it moved past the stage of idea. And I speak from experience. Because we can. We can have all kinds of wonderful ideas, but we need to be patient. We need to wait on the Lord. We need to make sure that if we have a great idea, that it's actually from Him before we begin to step out and pursue that thing. David's favored by God. And we're going to speak a little bit about that next as we look at the Annunciation when Gabriel comes and tells Mary that, that she's going to bear the Savior of mankind. He's going to bear God's Son. That's the greeting with which Gabriel appears to Mary was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. So we've got the stage set just before this in, the, in Luke's gospel. This is Luke 1, 26 to 38. The previously, by the way, the the epistle, not the epistle. The Old Testament lesson was Second Samuel seven verses one to eleven, and then verses verse sixteen. 
So in here in Luke 1, 26 to 38, we see after John's birth was foretold, when his father Zechariah was serving in the temple, which would have been a rare privilege because there were so many priests in Israel at that time that they literally, they had to retire at 50. So we know that Zechariah wasn't any older than that. They had to retire at 50 because there were so many of them. And the chance of actually serving in the temple and serving in the particular role that Zechariah was serving in that day in the holy place with the bread, the candlesticks, and incense um, would have been a very rare thing for any of the priestly class to do in the course of their lifetime. Everybody wouldn't have had that opportunity. And it was probably a once-in-a-lifetime thing for Zechariah. And there he goes in, and he's greeted by an angel. It's actually an archangel who later tells him that he's Gabriel. But he gives him a word that they're going to have a child. And his question, Zechariah's question there in that moment is, how can this be given the fact that we're old? And that's when Gabriel says, well, you want to question me on that? Here you go. How about this? How about you're going to be mute until the time of his birth? And so there's been dramatic things happening in Israel during this time with that because many, many people would have seen that and a great many more would have heard about it. So God's on the move, right? I mean, that's the thing is, is that Aslan's on the move and things are happening. There's a buzz, there's a stir, there's a, an expectation of what's to come because Zechariah immediately knew that his son would be the forerunner of Messiah. So God's about to do something huge and everybody's expecting it and everybody knows where this Messiah is going to come from. It's going to come from the line of David because that's the promise from forever. Nobody would even have thought twice when they were asked that question, what line it comes from, and it would come from David's line, the line of Judah. And so here, though, quietly in a city of Galilee, that's the district, called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And he comes and he says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And how would you think that you would react to such a proclamation from an angel? Or an archangel, actually. Whatever you think probably is not going to match what I read next. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. Mary was troubled at this saying, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. What is there to be troubled about about that? Well, you'd be troubled that an that an archangel appeared. <laughs> that might be part of it. But she's troubled at the saying. If an angel appeared to you and says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you, what about that would trouble you? Well, I, I was in Rwanda. Wow, a long time ago now, 20 years ago. And, and I, was, I was getting ready to go out on a Saturday. I was up in Shira Diocese. I was in, uh, going up to Ruangari, up into the, to the volcanic mountains there, to spend the day and then was going to go a couple of other places and going to go over to Gisenyi, which is right on the Congolese border, right across from Goma. There was a big earthquake there, um, or yeah, an earthquake there quite a few years ago now. And, and as I was leaving that morning, the bishop told me, you're going to preach tomorrow in the cathedral. Oh, well, I'm going to be gone all day today. 
I don't really have any preparation time. I'll take a Bible with me and I'll look at whatever the lessons are and see what's going on. And so I found the psalm, and it, it was about the it's Psalm 29. It's about the voice of the Lord. And so we spent the day out and about, and it was a good day. We had it was a productive day, and came back that night and was praying through that psalm about the, was the, what about the voice of the Lord. And what I what I realized was is is that that there's two basic things you can always count on the Lord being the Lord's voice, right? The first two words are follow me. That's what he always says, follow me, come, you know. And so it's a, it's a wonderful thing to, to be given the opportunity to follow God, especially when it's a direct call to follow him. It, it's a wonderful thing. And so we, you know, typically, except for the rich young ruler, we'll acquiesce to that call to follow him and go wherever he leads us. And we're excited about that. When we get started on that journey, it's an exciting thing. I'm following the living God, you know. And then the but and that's great, but the other two things that God consistently says to those who say yes, I'll follow you, are fear not. I mean, if you look at the look at the end of Deuteronomy and the very first of uh, Joshua, what you'll see is at the end of Deuteronomy, um, Moses tells Joshua, "Don't be afraid, for the Lord's with you. Uh, be strong and courageous." He tells him that. Moses does in Deuteronomy, and then as he as he's setting him up to take his place, and then the first chapter of Joshua, it says it a million times, and and I've always wondered why, since he was one of the spies who didn't fear going into the land, and and encouraged the the nation to go and take the land from these giants that were there, according to the rest of the spies, he and Caleb remember the ones who said, no, come on, let's go, we got this. Because they were trusting God, not themselves. They didn't see the power in themselves. But it was like Peter seeing the waves and the wind. They were afraid because they were afraid of the wrong thing because they forgot. The main thing is God's with us. And as it says in that psalm, is, is that God's strength, his arm will make David strong. His hand will hold him fast. And so the other spies forgot that. Joshua and Caleb were calling the people to faith, not battle necessarily. They were calling them to faith. Hey, God's got this, was really what they were saying. But God has to tell him again and again and again, don't be afraid. Well, why? The guy who wasn't afraid, why you got to tell him that? Well, first, something I learned after I stepped out of the protective covering of being on staff somewhere and went out on my own was, is it's a lot easier to have strength and fear not whenever you're serving somebody else and they've got to make the decisions and live with the, with the outcome. So... Fear changes when you step into that number one role. And, and then the other thing is there's a lot to fear once he starts following God because he's going to be in situations, and, and he knows this because he was in them already, you're going to be in situations where you're over your head. If you're really following God, he's going to take you to places you'd rather not go. He's going to put you in places where if he doesn't do something, it's going to go badly. And so that's why he, God, if you follow him, he's going to put you in situations where you can't handle it, where you can't say, I got this, where you're constantly having to say, I hope you've got this. I hope that I'm still following you because I can't handle this. And so Mary's wise, actually. I really believe that. I really believe that what here, why she's greatly troubled at the saying is, is if God's saying something like this to her and he's, he's patting her on the back and saying you're a favored one, which means chosen one, really. That something she's done has found favor with God such that he has chosen her in the same way that, that it's sort of an enigma why God chooses Abraham, why he chooses Moses even as an infant. 
much less as an old man. So it, there's this, your favored one. That means I'm going to ask you to do something. There's a job I have for you, and but the Lord is with you. Now that's the really important part. If you're going to follow, if I'm going to follow you, I need to know that that you're with me. I really need to know your presence is there, and that's what Moses pleaded for. When God was going to ditch the people and send an angel with him, he says, "No, if you're not going to go, we're not going to go, and I'm sure not going to lead them because I don't know what I'm doing. You do." And so when the angel greets her this way, she's wise. She knows the truth, and the truth is, is if God's called her for a job, he'll equip her, but it's not going to be all wine and roses. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be difficult things. So Mary was greatly troubled at that saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting might this be. It's not that she doesn't trust the Lord. It's not that, hey, that's, that's a lot of flattery right there in one sentence. That's not what she's saying. I believe Mary knows. Something here, and she what she knows is, is is that that I, I don't know what God's going to ask me to do here, and and I'm not a hundred percent in on it yet. But she's going to keep listening. And the angel said to her, "Don't be afraid, Mary. Told you, told you he was going to say it. <clears throat> For you found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and be called the Son of the Most High." seems like right there, right? You could, you could breathe a deep sigh of relief. Oh, oh, I've found favor with God, and I'm going to conceive a child, and it's going to be a son, and we're going to call him Jesus, and he'll be great and called Son of the Most High. Oh, okay. That, okay, you've relieved my fears a little bit. And, and then he says, the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he'll rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there'll be no end. Sure, sign me up, absolutely. But Mary's still not 100% in this thing. She says, right, she says, uh, how will this be since I'm a virgin? I haven't been with a man. Mary knew enough biology to know virgins don't give birth. Today, sometimes what you'll hear is, is that people back then were stupid, and so they would believe things like the virgin birth. The first person we know for certain who doesn't believe in a virgin birth is Mary. How can such things be, since I've never been with a man? I'm a virgin. Second person, by the way, this is every year I have to say this, second person we know who doesn't believe in a virgin birth is Joseph. Because you know what his reaction was to the news? It wasn't praise God. It was, I'm going to put her away quietly. We're not going to, you know get married. So we know they didn't believe in virgin births. Just, these aren't simpletons. People had figured out a long, long time ago what it took to make a child. And so Mary knew, I, I'm not dumb and ignorant. How can such things be? And so the angel responds and says, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. If you're Mary, and you know how the biology works, you know what's required. Biology and chemistry have to get together and for this child to be born. So she asks a very simple question. She's not doubting in the way that, that Zechariah did. She's just asking a question. Hey, that's not how it works. 
And then the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's how you're going to conceive, Mary. Yeah, that, that begs some questions, doesn't it? I don't know what that looks like. I've never heard of such a thing before as that. And then, so this one will be God's child. Literally, the Son of God. And then encourage her further by speaking of her cousin Elizabeth, who's now six months pregnant, and she'd been barren. And that, that, that barrenness with a woman giving birth, especially when it's announced by an angel, is something that gets everybody's ears perked up and listening and paying attention to what might come next. They're going to be all eyes are going to be on that child. And, and, but that one makes sense, right? I mean, barren women can suddenly conceive and bear a child, but virgins don't give birth. And so Mary's going to bear a stigma here. Mary's going to bear a stigma even to this very day because people, I won't even call them theologians because you can't possibly call them theologians when they say things like this. Well, people will say in the church, in, in the academy, and sometimes in the church even, will say things like, well, Mary probably actually had sex with a Roman soldier. That was the rumor of the day then. People don't believe in a virgin birth. They didn't believe in it then. They don't believe in it now. There was always a scandal associated with this. And so, yes, Mary, you're a favored one, but you're, you're favored to do a difficult thing, to bear a difficult stigma. But what's Mary's response to that? Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel left her. You want to know why Mary was favored? Because Mary was willing to do whatever God asked her to do. No matter what it meant for her. And we know when she says the Magnificat, which is the hymn of praise after this, after she meets Elizabeth, she sings the Magnificat, the song of, of what God's going to do and how glorious things will be. We know Mary had great expectations. This is a woman who had wonderful expectations here, pondering her upcoming marriage and what that future might look like with her new husband, Joseph. So whatever she was thinking at that time as she waited for Joseph to get to the point where they could go ahead and have the marriage, whatever thoughts she had of, of what her future might look like are, are violently interrupted here because God asked her to do something, to do something way out of the ordinary. And there'd be great glory in it forever and ever. But it's going to not be all that easy, even though she sings that great Magnificat. When Simeon gives the word at the temple, when, when he, the, we, we do use the song of Simeon in our, in our daily lessons in the Anglican world, and it's wonderful, right? Because he sees Jesus, He's been, this man who's been promised that he'll see the Christ when they see this infant Jesus come in, he looks into his eyes, takes him in his arms, and blesses God and says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. I'm ready to die according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory for your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and then Simeon blessed them. And then he said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that's opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own heart also so that 
thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That's pretty dark stuff. After the first part of that, the one that we use in worship as sort of a little anthem, a canticle, it's dark after that. Simeon didn't promise wine and roses either, did he? Simeon tells her this is going to be hard. This is, sword's going to pierce your own heart through all of this. And so what does it mean to be favored by God? Well, it means to be chosen by God. And, and it's a great honor to be chosen by God for something, but typically that comes along with great difficulty. If he's chosen you to do something, then, then it's something only you can do, but it's something that's going to require great faith and great strength of faith, maybe for a very long time. It's not a promise of blessedness. If you're chosen by God to do something for him and for his kingdom, it's not likely to be easy. It's, it's not a burden you're going to be able to bear by yourself. You're going to need to know that he's with you the whole time. So what does it mean to be favored or chosen by God? It means to be given great honor and great responsibility. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that you're going to have what looks like a blessed existence. There may be a lot of people who misunderstand you. There may be severe difficulties along the way. But his promise is, is that if you're following me, I will be with you. And in spite of the fact that there's going to be a lot to fear along the way because you're going to be in over your head way too often, that I am with you. And that that's enough. God needs men and women to say to him, I'm your servant. I'm willing to do anything you want just because I trust you. Always the call of faith is to accept any challenge God gives us knowing that the blessing is his presence on the journey and in the difficulty. That's the reason Psalm 23 tells the story it does of walking through the shadow, valley of the shadow of death. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I will fear no evil. Saying yes to God is a life of great blessedness because along with it comes the presence of God. But don't get the idea that that means that everything's going to be easy. No, that's not what it is. We live in a world that is fallen, busted, and broken. But I can say that after 23 years now of having said yes to God finally in my life, we've had a lot of difficulties. Things haven't gone the way that I ever thought they would. I certainly didn't expect to be doing customer service at Amazon if I followed God. But I'm telling you, that in that, in all the struggle and everything else, there's blessing because he's been there every step of the way. Sometimes it's hard to find him because he allows us sometimes to go through the valley of the shadow of death. But we need fear no evil because he's with us. And so it's a wonderful thing to be favored. And great things can be accomplished through people who say, I'm your servant. Be it done to me according to your will. I'm going to do a special shorter one tomorrow, podcast tomorrow, and it's going to be about, uh, well, it'll be posted on Sunday, and it's uh, going to be about Gabriel. I'm going to reflect on Gabriel a little bit and who he is, and then also talk a little bit about something called the Revelation Stone. And then on Monday, we've got an event, a celestial event with a conjunction between Mars and Jupiter that's going to be provide a, a bright light, not as bright as the moon, but I mean, bright light in the heavens, similar to what happened 
in what we believe to be B.C. 4 when the star appeared in Bethlehem. So, got a couple of things still to do this week and then looking forward certainly to Christmas and to Christmas Eve. And, and so I enjoy that and looking forward to be, being with you more this week than normal. Take care. God bless. You've been listening to Faith Seeking Understanding. And again, I'm John Green.